Greetings and welcome. Welcome back to the Psychopharmacology Supplemental Podcast. I am Dr. Sweet, the lead professor for this course in psychopharmacology taught at Columbia University. If you are a student in this class, you've already had the lecture on anxiety disorders and anxiety medications. This podcast is merely a supplement, merely an adjunct to the lecture that was already given. And if you are not a student and you're interested in taking this course, this may serve as a bit of an introduction or a window, if you will, into how we conceive and conceptualize uh, of this course and how we attack particular conditions and how we look at particular medications in an integrated way. So just to supplement the lecture that was done by our students and an excellent job as always, I would like to spend a moment just uh, reviewing anxiety disorders. It's a good refresher uh, to remind uh, everyone that as was said in the lecture, that anxiety disorders are really prevalent and among the most disabling of psychiatric disorders in the United States and perhaps even worldwide. Right, so the thing is that one in four adults will suffer from an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. And that diagnosis of having an anxiety disorder comes with substantial physical and emotional discomfort and elevated rates of substance use, as was mentioned in the lecture, and also medical illnesses. So it's not enough to say I have an anxiety disorder, we should be saying I have an anxiety disorder and what else? What else is occurring? What else is co-occurring with the anxiety disorder that has been diagnosed? And in terms of co-occurrence with anxiety disorders, other psychiatric disorders are often present. For example, two that we mentioned in the lecture that was mentioned by our student lecturers were the uh, major depressive disorders and, uh, well, the mood disorders, major depression disorders, uh, bipolar disorders were also mentioned as associated uh, with anxiety disorders and with a more chronic and refractory course for the anxiety disorder. Not to mention that once you have the anxiety disorder and you have a co-occurring, a co-occurring disorder like depression or bipolar disorder, you also have elevated, significantly elevated the risk for suicide. So as you can see, anxiety disorders create this constellation of medical and psychiatric, psychological burden that can increase morbidity and mortality, including an elevated risk for suicide. We learned from the lecture that the combination of high prevalence and high functional disability, right? The high prevalence of the anxiety disorders and the high functional disability associated with anxiety disorders leads to uh, increased economic and social cost and burden. And that's quite a bit. So anxiety disorders are prevalent, they're worldwide, they exact a heavy toll on society. There's a lot of cost involved in treating them. And as you know, there's so much abuse of anxiety medications out there right now uh, that it's become somewhat epidemic. In that context, we like to understand and really explore 
What are these anxiety disorders and what is the core feature of an anxiety disorder? So the core features, the core feature of an anxiety disorder is really excessive fear and anxiety and, and, uh, and related behavioral disturbances that go along with that. And in the lecture, the students mentioned a number of anxiety disorders from the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. There were, there were a number of these anxiety disorders that we had to think about. And one of them was separation anxiety. Another was selective mutism. Now, both of these anxiety disorders manifest typically in children. Specific phobia is another type of anxiety disorder. Social anxiety disorder, known as SAD. Panic disorder, agoraphobia, which is fairly new and just been added to the DSM-5 as an anxiety disorder. It wasn't, agoraphobia was not added as one in the previous edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's now here in the DSM-5. Generalized anxiety disorder also is there. And then I think two other ones that are worth mentioning that was mentioned in the lecture as well were substance or medication-induced anxiety disorders and or anxiety disorder due to another medical sort of condition. So, boy, that's quite a bit, right? You go from separation anxiety and mutism all the way to specific phobias, to panic disorders, to agoraphobia, to generalized anxiety disorders, to substance use and medication-induced anxiety disorders. So you can see, and this is not to mention PTSD and OCD, which used to be included here, but now occupy their own space, but are connected to anxiety. So can you imagine how... um, challenging it must be to discern and decipher and diagnose which one of these a person might have. And that's what many clinicians spend a lot of time trying to do is determine which one of these is manifesting. And often they're confused or they're missed uh, when they're compounded by the presence of another medical disorder. And so a wise and astute clinician will ask the question about anxiety and try to probe for anxiety even when someone comes in with a medical condition. So that's an important uh, background that I think was really important. And I I just wanted to spend a moment just reviewing with you, what are some of the FDA-approved treatments for anxiety disorders? Now, this is all beautifully laid out in the lecture, but I just wanted to be sure that we grasp what's going on in terms of like, what are the first-line treatments? What are the uh, FDA treatments? And I'll just say this, that in terms of FDA treatments, the SSRIs are many of them are FDA approved for the treatment of anxiety disorders. The SNRIs, the serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors are also approved. Benzodiazepines are approved. Tricyclic antidepressants are approved, some of them. And the monoamine oxidase inhibitors, the MAOIs, some of them, well, they are approved. And even antihistamines like hydroxyzine is approved for nonspecific anxiety. And then we have other, uh, like buspirone, which is also uh, approved for nonspecific anxiety. So I just wanted to be sure that we all grasped the 
the number of meds that are available that different clinicians use. And sometimes a clinician might use uh, a medication not necessarily for what its effect is on the medic on the particular condition. It might be that it has characteristics that might be helpful. So, for example, someone might have fibromyalgia or non-specific muscle pain, and uh, a choice for them might be uh, an elegant choice might be Cymbalta, Duloxetine, uh, because uh, of its potential to also help mitigate the effects of um, pain. Uh, so antidepressants have multiple uses. Just to review again, the FDA approved ones, and I mentioned the SSRIs. I'd just like to spend a minute just sort of talking through a couple of them that were mentioned in the lecture. We looked at escitalopram or Lexapro, which is approved for generalized anxiety disorder. We, we looked at fluoxetine. This is another SSRI that uh, is approved FDA-wise for OCD and panic disorder. We mentioned Luvox that's approved for OCD and seasonal affective disorder or SAD. We looked at Paxil, which was approved for multiple uh, anxiety disorders, including generalized anxiety disorder, OCD, panic disorder, PTSD, and SAD, or seasonal affective disorder. Zoloft, or sertraline, was also approved for OCD, panic disorder, PTSD, and seasonal affective disorder. So that's a a ton of SSRIs there that have been approved for specific, FDA approved for specific panic up for specific anxiety disorders, but the point here is that different doctors do different things and for various reasons they may choose to use one over the other. I mentioned duloxetine earlier, which is an SNRI, a serotonin norepinephrine retake inhibitor, and I remember, and, and I remember, and that's approved for, FDA approved for generalized anxiety disorder. Uh, at the same time, as I said, uh, it, it has found its way into uh, treatment of fibromyalgia and other kinds of um, anxiety disorders where pain uh, is involved. Uh, Another SNRI that is approved for anxiety disorders is venlafaxine or Effexor. And that is uh, approved for generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and seasonal affective disorder. two SNRIs and and a ton of the SSRIs I just mentioned. And in terms of the benzodiazepines, uh, clonazepam is one of the uh, most used uh, in panic disorder, but I'll tell you, um, a number of the benzos have have a use in in, uh, the treatment of uh, anxiety disorders. As you remember, the benzos tend to work on GABA receptors, um, and as a result, they can have an anxiolytic effect the body. So Alprazolam or Xanax is a very famous one. It's approved for non-specific anxiety. Um, and uh, remember that's pregnancy category D though. It's not like category C like many of the SSRIs, SNRIs. Um, Paxil of course in the SSRIs is category D pregnancy. So that's one that you would have to be careful with with pregnant females. So again, Xanax and Paxil, you'd be careful with in pregnancy. Another benzo, uh, clonazepam, diazepam, and chlorodiazepoxide, they're all approved for 
uh, anxiety. With, I think, clonazepam really being, uh, like I mentioned, clonazepam and alprazolam being the two that are specifically uh, approved for panic disorder. All right. The others are more for nonspecific anxiety. Uh, oxazepam is also used um, as a, for nonspecific anxiety. Again, though, different clinicians do different things. Even though uh, we talked about the two that are approved for panic disorder, doctors may choose or prescribers may choose to use any of these for various reasons. Sometimes they want to use it because something like clonazepam has a longer half-life and, and they, or they may want to use extend, uh, Xanax, extended release Xanax for the longer half-life versus shorter half-life, that kind of thing. So, just to repeat really quickly, we talked about SSRIs as being used. We talked about SNRIs being used first line. And then we talked about uh, the benzos that I just mentioned being used uh, in sup- as adjunctive uh, to the SSRIs and SNRIs. So, in cases where you can't tolerate the SSRIs or the SNRIs uh, and you need rapid intervention, the benzos work very quickly. The SSRIs and the SNRIs, as we heard in the lecture, take a little while to work. So, sometimes when somebody has a panic disorder, as you know, they'll come in, they'll be put on like Xanax and maybe. Um, uh, Zoloft or something along those lines and the reason that they get put on both is that a lot of times the doctor or the prescriber wants to be sure that you have something fast acting like a benzo and then they're going to withdraw that benzo at some point and then the anxiolytic effects of the SSRI or the SNRI will kick in. So that's sort of the thinking. I want to mention a couple of other FDA-approved groups of meds. One is the TCAs or the tricyclic antidepressants, clomipramine being one of them, uh, doxepine being another one, imipramine being another. And these are um, approved uh, more so for uh, um, non-specific anxiety, with the exception of clomipramine, which uh, has has an FDA indication for OCD and panic disorder. Um, and remember that these TCAs, as you learned in the lecture, they're very powerful medications and they really do work, but they have a lot of side effects because they work on a lot of different receptors, including acetylcholine receptors, histamine receptors, uh, you know, serotonin receptors, norepinephrine receptors. There's quite a few that this very powerful class of medications work on, the tricyclic antidepressants. And uh, so they often aren't first line because of the the high side effect profile. The same is true of the monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Phenylzine is a sort of one of the the ones that we can think of, I'm thinking of that has an indication for panic disorder. And I gotta tell you, uh, like the TCAs, and as we heard in the lecture, the MAOIs and the TCAs, they work on multiple um, receptors, well, they, they have they work very powerfully on the monoamine monoamine oxidase I should say uh, enzymes and they therefore can really uh, affect give you tremendous side effects um, one of them being tyramine interaction with tyramine or foods con- uh, um, containing tyramine and certainly interacting with other SSRIs and creating hypertensive crisis as we learned. Uh, in the lecture, I won't get into that and bore you with that. No, just know that MAOIs can be used, just like TCAs can be used, and there is some indication for them, but they have tremendous side effects, and so sometimes you have to be careful about the uh, um, side effect profile. <laughs>
I had mentioned antihistamines before, uh, like hydroxyzine. We use that often, even in sports when we're dealing with athletes. Sometimes they don't want uh, something too heavy and we need something that acts fairly rapidly. Uh, sometimes we use hydroxyzine, uh, somewhere between two to 400 milligrams. Um, gets you an anxiety effect. And it's, it's FDA approved, actually, for non-specific anxiety. So it's like, I think the only antihistamine that I know of that can do that um, even though doctors do it for other reasons, off-label with other antihistamines. And then last, buspirone. Not a big fan of it, but buspirone, it needs to be mentioned. It is a proof of non-specific anxiety. Um, not always uh, the most effective um, anti-anxiety agent. So just wanted to talk you through those medications and uh, so that you can have a grasp uh, on what's FDA approved and just know that these meds, they're not perfect. They come with a number of side effects, addiction potential, and, and sometimes the cure is actually worse than the condition. I'd like to emphasize, as was emphasized in the lecture, that there are evidence-based psychotherapies uh, like CBT that have been shown in head-to-head -head trials with anti-anxiety medications uh, to be very effective. Um, uh, in the treatment of anxiety disorders. So I hope this very rapid review and overview of anxiety, uh, anxiety conditions and the medications that have been approved for anxiety conditions and some of the therapies like CBT, uh, even uh, IPT and other kinds of therapies that we uh, know can be helpful is in your mind as you think through how do I approach anxiety. I think understanding what the anxiety is due to and what is it's associated with and getting underneath the thoughts and the beliefs and the feelings are as important as ingesting a medication that might work on a particular receptor system to get you the relief. Often it's better to have some kind of a counseling or therapeutic intervention that goes along with the medication so that you can have lasting uh, behavioral change. All right, well, that's plenty. Thank you for listening and looking forward to coming back to chatting with you again. This is Dr. Sweet, over and out.